that every year on Epiphany, we look at the same passage in Scripture. Followers of Christ all around the world look at the same passage of Scripture on the first Sunday of Epiphany, and that is the passage that Steve just read for us, or another version of it in the Gospels, which is the story of the baptism of Jesus. And it's really interesting because, you know, the Gospels, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, and the story of Jesus' birth, the story that we celebrate at Christmas, is actually only in two of the Gospels. But this story, the story of the baptism of Jesus, is in all four. And it's funny because, I mean, just with Christmas, and I mean, obviously Christmas is a very big story <laughs> in the Bible. But most of us would go like, yeah, Christmas should be in all the Gospels. Baptism, baptism of Jesus? Okay, baptism. Most of us would not, would not really think, like, what is the big deal? So when the, all four gospel writers cover that story, it kind of causes us to pause and go, like, hmm. Th they must think this is pretty significant. They must think this is a pretty big event. And it causes us to ask, why is that? I think one of the reasons that is is because baptism for Jesus and baptism for us is about identity. And identity is core to being human. To be human is to have an identity. And the question is, where is your identity formed? Like, where does your identity come from? And I would suggest today that it can kind of come from three places. Yourself, others, or God. Your identity, you can gain your sense of self, who you are from yourself, you know, looking within, self-actualization, or looking to a group, your group, to tell you who you are, or by looking to God. So it's kind of like you can look in, you can look out, or you can look up. And in the story of baptism, what we're seeing is that Jesus is showing us what it means to be most human, fully human, fully God. He's showing us what it means to be most human at this level of identity formation by letting the Father tell him who he is. Baptism is about your identity coming from God. Baptism does not save you, but it does identify you. It identifies you as a follower of God in the way of Jesus. It identifies you in the death and the resurrection of Christ. And it also identifies you as being a part of the family of God. You know, one of the probably most pervasive or common things that we hear today is that if you want to know who you are, where should you look? Look within. It's probably the most common thing we hear just in culture at, at large because there is like a fierce, um, pervasive individualism in our culture today, perhaps Fierce individualism is like the greatest idol in our culture today. It basically says, 
don't let anyone else tell you who you are or what you should do. You decide. Fierce individualism teaches us to look to ourselves to form our identity in a myriad of different ways. And this fierce individualism, it makes, us po- makes it popular for people to say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I mean, postmoderns like me, <laughs> we like to think of faith as a private matter. I mean, we really do. I mean, I, I feel this in me. It's an individual thing. It's just me and God. It's me and Jesus. I admit that even as a postmodern pastor, if you will, I I mean, it is easy and a common, regular thing for me to underline, you know, in bold, like God can be found anywhere. We don't need to come into into this sanctuary or any sanctuary to find God. Of course, that's true. I'm eager to underline that. But in the story of Jesus' baptism, it appears, God is underlining something else. In baptism, we are underlining belonging over independence. In baptism, we choose to belong to someone and to some place. We're saying publicly, we belong here. You notice uh, with baptism of Jesus, with baptism throughout church history, it's a public thing. It's not a private thing. You don't baptize yourself. You're baptized by another in the presence of others. In baptism, you're identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection, but you are also making a promise to be a part of a community And it's the global, worldwide body of Christ. Another common way besides just looking within to form an identity is to let others form it for me. Let the group tell me who I am, what I'm about, what I should care about. To look to a group that I'm a part of, take on the thoughts, the feelings, the actions of that group. I mean, Probably the most obvious way we do this right now is through political affiliation, right? Taking on the thoughts, actions, and feelings of a group. Sometimes you even hear the word identity connected to politics, identity politics. It's common, um, or I, I want to say actually it's uncommon. It's, it's rare, it's unusual for me to meet a follower of Christ who can't easily be pegged with, you know, political affiliation, but it's always refreshing when I do because it kind of says to me, like, huh, like maybe despite the incredible poles of polarization politically in our world, perhaps this is an individual who is attempting to be shaped more by the values of the kingdom of heaven, which don't fit nicely in any empire, than by the political landscape of America, but it's rare, it's uncommon. Identity, whether you're looking within or you're looking to your group, identity is its core to being human. And our culture, no matter how we come to it, our culture is saying your identity is something you achieve. It's achieved. God is saying through this story, 
identity is not achieved, it is received. And that tension of the air that we swim in and what we hear in this story through scripture, it is an everyday tension for followers of Christ every day. Like every single day, you and me and your children and my children are just bombarded with messages that say, you must self-define. You must show us who you are and what you are about. And you must prove through your actions and your voice and your online presence who you are and what you are about. And to do this, we're told, like just look inside yourself, embrace your true self, then broadcast that, whatever it may be, to the world. Tell us who you are. That's your identity. And if you're really, really good at framing it in that way, it is probably going to involve rejecting what others have said about you, particularly your family of origin. You should probably include in your story how you overcame the expectations of other people. You threw off all the labels that society tried to put on you. You threw off all the stereotypes, and you discovered who you are, and this is who it is. you've found yourself, our world would say, you need to work really hard at curating that image. Like, be consistent with the appropriate symbols and statements associated with your identity. You should keep proving to us that this is who you are. How? By being loud about it. Telling others. Tell us through your t-shirts. Tell us through your yard signs. Tell us through your status symbols. Tell us through your causes and the use of your voice. And then after, don't forget this part, after you have done this for many years, it would be good if you had an identity crisis where you basically say, oh, like the whole first half of my life I was wrong about who I was, and now I've discovered who I really am. This is kind of how our culture trains us to think about identity. There's some good and necessary corrections in that, certainly. But basically it says identity is achieved. Look within, find yourself, let us know who you are. If you're having a problem with that, look to your group. Let them tell you who you are. And the baptism of Jesus teaches us something different entirely. It says identity is not achieved, it's received. Jesus' baptism shows us this. The truest thing about you is not what you say about you. And it's not what others say about you. It's what God says about you. That's what the story of the baptism of Jesus tells us. And because identity is so core to being human, it shows up in every single one of the Gospels. In the story we're reading, you know, John the Baptist is there at the Jordan River, and he's baptizing people. And you can kind of just imagine, like, there's a long line of people. That's how I imagine it. Each day, someone is stepping forward, wanting to be baptized, and every single day, John the Baptist is doing this. You could just imagine him being like, okay, Suzanne Hernandez, I baptize you, and, you know, Shimon Penn, I baptize you, and, you know, whoever the next person is, I baptize you, and Jesus of Nazareth. He's like, I can't baptize you. And Jesus insists. Jesus is saying, I belong here. 
with God and with this movement of God. And this is so interesting because it is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Like before Jesus did anything at all in ministry, he receives his identity from the Father. God tells Jesus who he is before Jesus ever heals a single person or performs any miracle. And God says to Jesus at his baptism, you are my son, whom I love. In you, I'm well pleased. The father says to Jesus at his baptism, son, I love you. I am for you. I am with you. This is who you are. And in Jesus' day, just like today, there were a lot of options for Jesus to adopt an identity. A lot of options for who Jesus could have been as the chosen one. There were several options for who the Messiah was supposed to be in popular opinion, ways in which people were hoping Jesus would be the Messiah that would fulfill the hopes that they had for a Messiah. I mean, just consider a couple of the options. First of all, he comes up out of the water, he sees the face of John the Baptist, and he could have taken on that as his identity. Like a rigorous moralism, he could have worn weird clothes and eaten strange food and, you know, basically like put off or um, had a disdain for any physical or social pleasures. He could have taken that on as his identity. A lot of people thought the Messiah was going to be that way. A lot of people today still think the Messiah, that God is like me. Jesus could have looked there to form his identity. Another thing he could have done, Jesus could have looked at the headlines, at the issues of the day. He could have become co-opted by a political agenda. In fact, a lot of people still think that is the agenda of Jesus today. Jesus could have looked around, become an anti-Roman agitator, like joined up, aligned themselves with the, with the zealots or some other nationalistic party. He could have done that. He could have organized an army, set out to restore to Israel, to God's people, their faithful and rightful heritage. He could have had a campaign slogan slogan that says, like, make Israel great again. Or he could have had, on the other side, a political slogan that said, battle for the soul of Israel. Those were probably, like, the most common expectations put on Jesus for the identity people expected him to embrace. Those were the popular visions of the Messiah in Jesus' day. And they're actually... Funny enough, they're still with us today in different ways. There are many people who pretend that Jesus and his church are really only and all about certain things. Like some Christians would think Jesus and his church are only about preaching morality or only about social reform or mainly about gaining personal prosperity, like live your best life now, or bringing in a renewed national greatness, bringing back the good old days. Or for some, it's like Jesus and his church are all about basically 
just hanging around until God brings the whole shebang down in a big explosion. Just hang on till then. Human nature is we are so uh, tempted, all of us. We're so drawn to forming a subculture that is both like as homogeneous and, and holy as we think it should be possible. All of these are kind of still around today, like they were for Jesus. They're temptations for us, places we can form an identity. But Jesus was none of those. None of those were Jesus's identity. Jesus's identity is not as a moralistic teacher. It is not as a king. It is not as a conqueror. It is as a beloved son of God. His identity is secure. He had no need to power up and manipulate others. He doesn't need to prove anything. He doesn't need to please anybody. He trusts God, and that trust frees Jesus to become a servant leader. patient, full of love, burdened with pain. I mean, here he is. He has all the power, and yet he humbles himself to serve. And just mysteriously, in a way of God, through his suffering, God redeems not only Israel, but the whole world, all of humanity. Here's Jesus, the beloved one, the chosen one, He's fulfilling none of the popular expectations of a Messiah. Instead, he's embracing a faithful obedience to the Father that involves great suffering, and that ultimately leads to the victory of God. It's all upside down. It's, it's, the, it's just the way of kingdom love. And when Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, he's given his identity just like we are in our own baptism. He's named beloved of God, just like we are. And then Jesus lives that out. He lives out that identity in radical love. And his life shows us what it looks like to be most human as God intended humanity to be. Jesus showed us where identity is meant to be found. It's not self-actualization. It's not group identification. It's divine love relationship. So on this first Sunday of Epiphany, I was just thinking, if it would be meaningful to you, um, we have a little water on the communion table. And for those of you joining us from home, you might find a little water and put it in the center of wherever you are right now. And I'd invite you as you come to the table for communion, if it would be meaningful, to maybe dip your hand in that water, make the sign of the cross on your hand, maybe on your forehead. And in doing so, remember your baptism if you've been baptized. If you haven't been baptized and you want to talk about that, we'd love to be a part of that with you. Um, baptism doesn't save you, but it does identify you. And together, when we gather and we come to the table, we remind one another that like Jesus, we also have been named 
the love of children heart. And then what we'll do today is we ask ourselves, what does love mean for my life? So I pray as we start this new year, may you and I, may we choose Jesus and his values. May we receive our identity as the beloved afresh from the Father. Because that's our glory and that's our challenge together as God's people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the big, deep exhale that it is to receive those words from you, that we are your beloved, precious in your sight, that with you, God, and you alone, we are fully known, fully loved with no fear of rejection. God, I pray that you vision of who you say we are and what you are doing in building your kingdom might consume us in this new year. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to come as you see and as you care. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray.